Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining me again today. And it's amazing how people come into your path and and how people end up on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And people go, how do you have the people on that you have on? This lovely lady, Stephanie Myers-Peterson, her brother is one of my dear friends. We used to work together years ago in the food business. Yeah, I, I know you can tell I was in the food business for a while. And, and so, but she has an incredible story. We're going to have her brother on to tell his story of what he's overcome and in his life in the last several years, but I wanted to bring Stephanie on to tell her story. And so this morning from New York City, and if you're watching this on video with a background of Central Park in the background, I want to welcome Stephanie Myers-Peterson to the Intentional Encourager podcast. Stephanie, how are you today? Hey, Brian, I'm great. Thank you so much. Such an honor to be here with you all these miles away from my sweet home. Well, you know, again, it, it is what it is. And, and uh, you know, anytime you can connect with the great state of West Virginia, it's like having a warm biscuit in your hand. <laughs> a Tudor's biscuit. A Tudor, yes, yes. <laughs> we have, we have, see, I, I need to contact my friend Ray Burke and have him sponsor the Intentional Encourager podcast for all the times we have mentioned Tudor's Biscuit World on you the do. Intentional Encourager podcast. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's an everyday thing when we visit home. You cannot go through West Virginia and not have tutors every chance you get. Well, you're from the Charleston area, and so you got to throw Susie's in there. That's a that's a that's a biscuit staple. Yeah, you know, you yep. got to get a pepperoni roll, and uh, yep. you know, uh, a shameless plug for some other friends of mine. The Cold Spot definitely would recommend you going there to eat. Yep. Uh, the Smeddy family are friends of you mine. Gotta, so, yeah, you got to have a he little bit of heaven cupcake. A little bit of heaven cupcake. Yeah. <laughs> Why are we even doing a podcast? Let's just let's just talk about food for forty five minutes. Exactly. So yeah, <laughs> Stephanie, I want I want to before we dive into your story. You mentioned being a transplanted West Virginian and, and being in New York City. So we're hearing a lot of things back here of what's going on there. Give us an up to date report on what you guys have kind of gone through this year and what are the, what's the state of things like in New York City right now as we talk and record this podcast in early December? Oh my gosh. I, it's been a tough year. I won't lie. Um, April, March and April were ugly. I mean, it was, it was um, apocalyptic in a lot of ways. You know, people come to New York because of the hustle and the bustle and the energy and there were empty streets, restaurants closed. You know, my daughter obviously is in the, in the Broadway industry. And I mean, her whole world shut down. Um, See, that would have been the time I would have wanted to go just to, to avoid the crowds. Be like, yeah. I can walk around in New York. Hey, New York. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, people stayed in. The, the subways for the first time in history shut down at night so they could clean them every night. Um, we lost a lot of friends from here. We had a lot of friends who um, came and left. Like, they couldn't survive here because there was no jobs. All of these performers, their jobs are restaurants and um, retail and that kind of stuff. And they had to go. They just had to pack it up and go. And so, you know, grocery lines were, in fact, three and four hours long. 
Um, I would stand in line five, six, seven, eight, ten blocks just to get into a grocery store. Um, people were very sick. I mean, it's very chilling when you turn on the news and it's a meat truck and they're carrying the deceased out of hospitals. Um, yeah. It was scary. People ask me, are you coming home? I'm like, no, I, I'm, we're, we're good. Like, we've got our apartment. Um, and then we got sick. And we were very sick for 14 or 15 days, like barely could get out of bed sick. Um, but New Yorkers bounce back. The city is awakening safely, still very quiet, still a lot of things happening. Um, you know, Governor Cuomo is our resident hero. Um, political views aside, you know, he, he's a true New Yorker and he jumped in with all he had. It is. Um, well, at least you had him in, instead of Big Jimmy. We were stuck yeah. with Big Jimmy. So, yep. you know, you, you have, well, well, here's the thing. Okay. So, it, it, and again, I'll, I'll refer back to Michelle's West Virginia roots. Okay. You have Andrew Cuomo, nice suit, very polished, yep. things like that. And then you have Big Jimmy just rolls in and whatever he could find in the closet <laughs> that day. Just was like, well, I think this will fit today. Let me put this on. You know, it's 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 like night and day, and it's and, and watching. Listen, watching a Jim Justice press conference when when you when you do this with a mask and you go takes this long to put it on, and then it takes this long. You know, and you cover your you know that we've we have now referred to that as the justice technique of mask wearing, where you just throw it over your eyes to 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 eat something real quick, but. Yeah. Stephanie, my I favorite. Go my ahead. favorite is all the king's horses and all the king's men. I gotta tell you, every single time I watch that podcast, all the king's horses and all the king's men, and I'm like, really? Is this all we got, Jim? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know that, that that's all we yeah that's Love all we got. <laughs> yeah, bless his heart. Yeah. Bless his heart. Stephanie, you know, take me through your your own personal COVID experience because I think a lot of people, uh, whether you had full-blown COVID, as many people did and as you and your daughter yeah. did. Uh, I think I had a touch of COVID. I was, I was, you know, I had a headache for a couple of days and was just kind of lethargic. Um, I, I felt like it kind of brushed by me. And, and we have people, and again, people are testing positive that are asymptomatic. Yeah. You know, they, like, they don't really feel any symptoms, but they're, they're po testing positive with the antibodies. Yeah. Had you ever been sick like that before? What was that experience like for that that 14 or 15 days where you and your daughter were battling it? Never. It was the sickest I've ever been in my life. So we um, basically March 16th, we shut our office down and said, go home until we know what's happening. Um, and so we locked the doors and went home. And about a week later, I got a horrendous headache. I suffer from migraines anyway, once or twice a month. But I got the mother of all headaches. Like it was scary. And about seven days later, I woke up and I couldn't taste and I started coughing and I immediately called my doctor and I'm like, what do I do? And she's like, well, first of all, you can't get to a testing facility. We're talking last week of March. We're talking the apocalypse has hit. There's, I, I don't have a car. We ride the subway and the bus. I don't need a car. It's just an extra expense and an extra hassle. It was the one time in living New York I wish I had a car. That See, for West Virginians not being able to taste, you might as well just kill us. Well, it's not. It's that way up here too. West Virginia's transplant. <laughs> we really want to taste too. You might as um, well kill us because if we can't yeah. taste what we're eating at that point, it's just wasting it's time. It's pointless. Yeah, yes. exactly. Um, so it. it not that we won't eat. Nice. Not that we won't eat. I mean, we exactly. we'll, we'll still eat, but but it's just you know kind of nice pointless. Nice to taste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it, 
it hit fast. It was it was ferocious. Um, my symptoms were drastically different than Hannah Jane's. Um, Hannah Jane had the gastro stuff. Um, yep. I had the traditional on my back flu cough. I think I cracked a rib coughing. I went through weeks and weeks of sore ribs. Fevers were crazy, um, you know, 103, 104, um, and I couldn't get out. And I, so and my doctor's like, I don't want you to go get tested because I know the answer. You've lost your sense of taste. Your fever's on. I can see you. We FaceTimed every day or so. She's like, I do not want you to leave your house. The dangers of you leaving your house right now are greater than whether or not we stick a swab up your nose and confirm what we already know. And so, yeah. and you really couldn't get to test the head. There weren't, they weren't around. How did you, like, how did you and your daughter medicate? Because, you know, most people, you know, most people would, would, um, you know, how I would treat flu is, you know, continue to pump aspirin and get the, get the fever down yeah. and then start, you know, with some antibiotics attacking the other things. But with this, you know, you just mentioned grocery store lines outrageous yeah. i can imagine pharmacy lines were even more outrageous yeah. yeah how do you treat what you're dealing with or do you just have to say this thing's got to run its course it just had to run its course we did um i did have a friend uh, actually wanted to you know we talk about humanity when i first this is kind of a sidetrack but related when i first moved to new york people would say oh i lived through sandy oh i lived through 9 11 and i'm like it's weird i want to feel that connective tissue that new yorkers have when things like this happen and we got sick and we called it was actually hannah's first voice coach christy cates who's a dear dear friend of our family now and she said i'll get groceries i kid you not five hours later a stranger who she had never met who was a friend of her friend showed up at my doorstep with groceries the man stood in line for three hours and waited wow. for groceries for somebody he didn't even know so you know he brought tylenol we did bone broth because i don't know how healthy you are but you know bone broth is, is good for you um mucinex and we just kind of waited it we out we talked about tudor's biscuits for five minutes how healthy do you think i am <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what i did get that, what's that uh, that amazing, wonderful brother of mine sent me pepperoni rolls <laughs> when I had COVID. <laughs> there was your healing right there. That's that how it. you. It that's how you roll. recovered. Yes, because. Yeah. Be, and, and, and Stephanie, I'll say this: you're, you're talking about March in the apocalypse there in New York. Yeah. We were still not feeling it yet in West Virginia because yeah. I had friends of mine. I have a friend of mine in Louisiana that texted me and said, we're, we're coming to West Virginia because you guys are COVID free up there, you know? And I said, yeah. well, come on, we've got, we've got a place to say, we, we didn't feel it because you could put the state population of West Virginia into a borough in New York city. Oh, a, a neighborhood of a borough. Yeah. A neighborhood <laughs> of a borough. Yeah. A neighborhood of a borough. Yeah. When did you yeah. know, when was it that you knew that you were on the backside of this thing. You, 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 you did bone broth, you, you, you know, Tylenol antibiotics, things like that. At what point during that 15 days, did you start to feel some relief? Day 13, <laughs> honestly. I mean, it was 10 days of just doing nothing. Like it was hell. I hate to say it, but there was one night and this is both embarrassing, but you can't tell my story and not tell it. There was one night I got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and I couldn't get back to my bed. So I just rolled off and laid in the bathroom floor. Because I had absolutely no energy. Last Christmas, I got a weighted blanket for Christmas. Asked for it. I'm an anxious sleeper. Um, and I went to get in bed the second night when it really had just totally knocked me out. 
I didn't have the energy to put my blanket on because my little 15 pound weighted blanket was just too heavy. And Hannah and I laid into my bed and we just, first we laughed and then we cried. And then we were like, I mean, really? I can't even put my blanket on because I have no energy at all. Um, we have good blanket warmers though, because we have three cats. And um, for the better part of that 10, 15 days, they just didn't leave our side. So my doctor was amazing. Um, telehealth is revolutionized and saved me. I talked to her every other day or so. Um, you know, my family and friends, they, we got care packages, but the best part is, is that, you know, Amazon was trying to figure, everybody was figuring it out. Like this was when nobody knew anything, yeah. like grocery stores didn't know what social distancing meant. Um, Amazon was going berserk because everybody was ordering groceries. Like we do that normally. And I'm thinking, I always get my groceries every week through Amazon. Why can't I get my groceries? Well, that's because the rest of the world suddenly didn't want to leave their house either. But I remember calling home and talking to David probably every day, more than once a day, because he was, love his heart, he was worried. And it, it, you know, it encouraged me to know that somebody cared. And he would say, we had one case, we had three cases. And I turned my TV on and it would say 2,000 new cases, 2,000 deaths. I mean, it was, it was so dramatically different that it was almost astonishing at times how the different worlds that we were living in eight hours apart. You know, because here's the... Well, and, and Stephanie, here's the thing too. Even if people wanted to get to you from West Virginia, let's say, let's say David and his boys and, and his daughter loaded up the van and yeah. said, okay, we're, we're, we're coming with reinforcements. It still would have been hard for them to get to you, even though people were not out and about in the city. Yeah. It would have still been hard for them to get to you because of, what New York was dealing with now, what do you think will be the biggest lesson that New York takes away from what they went through with COVID-19? Because you mentioned 9-11. Yeah. That was devastating. Devastating. You, you mentioned Hurricane <laughs> Sandy. So now yep. you have a terrorist attack, you have a natural disaster, and a global pandemic, all yep. within a 20-year span. What do you think New York will take away from COVID-19? I think one of the things that Governor Cuomo did well, and New Yorkers followed, you know, for the most part, I mean, New Yorkers sheltered. When the hammer came down, say what you will about the big city, the melting pot, say what you will about New Yorkers, you know, being rude or fast or whatever you want to call it, we buckled down and listened. And um, I think people will look back and remember that the time that the city that never sleeps actually slept. But we did it well. I, I think that New York should be proud of the way that we handled this. I think that they should be proud of Cuomo. I think that there were many times that he opposed the federal government because they didn't understand because they weren't here. They weren't living it. They were seeing it behind the lens of a camera. They were seeing what the media was reporting. Um, but I think the takeaway is when we hunker down, New Yorkers will bounce back. Well, and, and again, what you just hit on is the 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 chaos of the unknown yes and yep. and and what i have said throughout this is that great deci good decisions are never made when fear is the impetus for making the decision you've right. got to be measured you've got to be even in the midst of chaos you have to be measured you have to be reasoned yep. you have to you have to understand what the situation is and how to react to it yeah. And could our government have done it? Absolutely. Yep. I think our, our government could have done a lot of things differently. I, again, 
I'll say this and, and we'll pivot to, to, to other things, but the thing that I find fascinating about this is that you can't get many experts to agree on this virus, on Correct. how to treat it, how to, to move forward with it. And this has been the, we have a handle on most every other virus, including AIDS, by the way. Yeah. We have a handle Correct. on AIDS. AIDS was our COVID-19 30 years Correct. ago. Correct. 30, yep. 35 Correct. years ago, it was, it was a pandemic like COVID-19 was. Now we have a handle on it. This situation was was we had no handle on it and we couldn't get agreement from any and, and Stephanie, I'll say this. In our state, the thing that I have been most disappointed with is we have a coronavirus czar. We have a corona czar here in West Virginia. Go figure. Yes. <laughs> and you can't get him to tell you how many cases he's actively treated or what his treatment protocol was. And any uh, good and any good doctor. Any great physician will tell you, yeah. when I attack this disease, this is what I attack it with, and I have success this many percent of the time attacking it in this way. Yeah. We didn't get that here in West Virginia, so I commend you guys in New York yeah. for, for, for doing that because we're still searching for those answers here in West Virginia. Yeah. And, Cuomo wasn't yeah. quiet. Cuomo was never quiet. He was out front of it, you know, say what you will about the people are like, oh, I don't like his politics. You don't have to like his politics to appreciate and respect what he did for this. You know, we were at such a disadvantage because all the other states have learned from us. We were like the Petri dish. Like no one had a clue what to do. And all of a sudden New York is ravaged with this virus. And so we kind of had to just punt. We had to just figure it out as you go. I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's, it's, it's the difference in the way Jim Justice, our governor, handled it, and the way Andrew Cuomo handled it, and other governors like him. Yep. Our governor would speak and say nothing. Yeah. Our governor would speak just to speak, and 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 he said something the other day, and we'll move on, but but I think it's important to this conversation about what you say and the power of what you say really matters. Yes. yes. He said that there are people that have passed away from COVID that are crying from the grave. Mm. And if you have a loved one that has passed away from COVID in West Virginia, you don't want Governor Justice speaking for you. No, not my at all. My family was affected by COVID-19 in that situation. We lost my wife's 98-year-old grandfather. Oh, I'm so sorry. Gosh. And it, well, it, when you're 98, I mean, you you yeah. good grief. Everything's a bonus. Some, but, something, yeah. Yeah. But I don't want Jim Justice speaking for me yeah. and my family and saying, well, they're crying from the grave. No. No. And, and again, you do more harm when you just speak to speak and not speak to say something. And right. so that, that's where I want to transition to with you for just a minute. The, the, the reason that you came to New York. Yeah. So now... How are how are people in the Broadway industry that stayed, like your daughter, how are they coming back themselves? How are they starting to get back to some semblance of normalcy? And what did they have to do, those that did stay, what did they end up doing for, for incomes and careers and things like that? 
Yeah. It's been tough. You know, I, 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 Hannah and I talk a lot about how fortunate it is that she's 20, just almost 20 years old and still lives at home. Cause we, I tell her if you, if I wasn't here, you would have had to pack your bags and go. Um, very dear friend of ours from the Broadway community very early on said to me, what people don't understand is that we didn't just lose our jobs. We lost our life because these people work together. They play together. Their hobbies are together. They have abnormal work hours. They're doing eight shows a week. And so they, you know, they, they work at odd hours. They lost everything. And they well, went it's like college athletes. Yeah. It's like college. They, I didn't mean to jump in there. It's like college athletes yeah. when, when conferences decided, okay, we're not going to play football. Yeah. You know, like the Big Ten and the Pac 12 decided, and then they decided to play. Well, well he, you know, to your point, those young people are on a regimented schedule. The people, no, yep. no matter how old you are as a Broadway performer, whether you're a relatively new performer or you're a seasoned performer, you get on a regimented schedule. So for Hannah, your daughter, what were some of the things that she had to do to really transition her mindset to continue to say, okay, this will be over at some point, but we don't know when. I've got to continue to do things to, to move my career forward. Yeah, we, um, <clears throat> the first part, I mean, it, you know, she was sick for a bit. I think everybody took a little bit of a hiatus for the first couple months of, on in the community because everyone kept thinking, oh, this is, it's just going to be a short-lived thing and we're all going to get back to work. Never had Broadway been closed down for this long. Um, Hannah, like many people we've talked to, it, it took a bit for her to bounce back into it. You know, the first, after we were sick, the first month or so, she did some lives on Instagram, got her guitar out, sat in her bedroom, put a ring light on and took some requests and that kind of stuff. Um, but then the longevity of this started to sink in. Um, and suddenly we were watching feeds and we were seeing all of our performer friends doing at-home concerts. So these people went from standing in front of a camera to being responsible for standing in front of the camera and running a camera and lighting and sound. And how do I put together something that I can give to the world that puts you know that that isn't yeah. something that somebody else produced i'm not you know there she's not she is thankfully younger people fared much better i will tell you because you know they come in the instagram world and they've been doing this for a long time stephanie um, i didn't realize that the two most important things in west virginia that would be the hardest to find in june were yeah. toilet paper and webcams <laughs> exactly yeah I mean, yep. really, you know, webcams yep. were like gold. I, I needed a webcam for the podcast and, and they were hard to find. So yeah. when when she gets the, when she kind of figures it out to yeah. continue to do the live stuff and, and, and play music and things like that, she's getting toward recovery. How have the last few months been in trying to transition? Does Broadway have any idea of when they will come back to, to some no. capacity? At this point, I mean, the, the last thing that, you know, was out there public was May, which probably means more like September. You know, you got to give them a chance to get back in the in the rehearsal rooms and, and rehearse and get something ready. Um, you know, we have friends who work for the theater companies and we have friends who work, you know, we have musicians and dressers and all, you know. Broadway is, and this is something I want people to hear because people think Broadway and they think Hannah Jane can't stand on a stage and sing. And, you know. When her day comes and she finally gets to be make her moment on Broadway, it's going to be amazing. But behind every person on that stage is someone putting costumes together. Someone's doing hair, makeup. Someone's building props and sets and a sound guy and an orchestra. 
and then someone's running the front of the house and someone's running the back of the house and the guy down the street has the bar that the performers go to to eat dinner after so this isn't just people on the stage this is like an onion you know what is it um shrek says ogres are like onions they have layers yes <laughs> this is like an onion you just well, keep pe- and peeling back and and you know that that's amazing that you know and i'm glad you said that and here's what i would like to see if it can be done i would like to see because in some places in 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 our country they're allowing fans to go back to football games at limited capacity in huntington where we live marshall's had games 12 13,000 people in a 36,000 seat stadium i would love to see when the jets and giants are done playing that maybe there could be some Broadway shows put on if and 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 I'm sure it can be done. The Jets and Giants play in a 65, 70,000 seat stadium where maybe you could do some Broadway performances outdoors. I don't know if yeah. that can be done, but it would give it would bring back some semblance of normalcy in that situation. It would be I yeah. think it would be neat for those people to be able to go, I'm going to go see a Broadway play. I'm just going to go see it at a football stadium. Yeah. You know, I think that um, as, as we scroll through the feed and as this has gone on further and further, you know, Hannah has now done three um, solo concerts. We just, we've learned lighting and sound. The last one was a pretty big one. We actually had a full band with us. You know, all the guys were socially distanced and all that stuff. Um, but you're seeing a lot of Broadway casts come together and do Zoom performances. So you see like, you know, 10 little boxes, um, I yeah. think the challenge is that singing is dangerous if you're thinking about COVID because there's, you know, you're automatically putting aerosol back out into the world when you open your mouth. And so there's two sides of it. One is keeping the performers safe, but the other side of it is keeping the audience safe because Broadway theaters are old, they're small, and they're tightly compacted. Yeah. And that's put why some- I was thinking about the football stadium because if yeah. you put the performers, if you socially distance the performers on stage, or they wore a mask or some kind of face protection, something like that. The audience in the stands gets nowhere near the yeah. performers on the on the stage. If you can do it for the Super Bowl halftime show, which they've done it every year pre-pandemic, I mean, surely to goodness that you know some of the some of the shows um, would be able to do that. And again, you have the only the only thing it would hamper that would obviously be weather you know yeah. if it snowed or something like, i don't know maybe that would add to the ambiance of the broadway yeah. show who knows but <laughs> you know let's... i think the other part i think the other part of this that's different from mainstream music is that you know broadway performers are telling you a story and the further back you get from them you disconnect from their facial expressions and the things that make them storytellers um, and so I think it gets the bigger the stadium, the bigger the theater they get, the harder it is to f- experience that intimacy of live. One of the, I don't know what to call it, it's a part of this community is, you know, the cabaret scene. And these are smaller houses that seat 80 to 100 people. And it's very special in there because you feel like the person is singing just directly to you. And so, you know, you see a lot of, a lot of cabaret performers have really been able to kind of keep their careers rolling. Um, Hannah being part of that community as well by doing these performances in their living rooms or, you know, on their balconies or whatever. But, you know, Broadway is a special place. Um, My kid has dreamed about it since she was nine years old and was Annie at the Alban Theater in St. Albans and walked off the stage and said, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And I looked at her and I said, you're crazy. You're going to go to school and be a doctor or a nurse. And here I am in New York City, you know, 10 years later. And she's, you know, 
fighting her way back into it. Um, but it's it's 90,000 people in New York City alone have been impacted. There was a, a, wow. a statistic on the New York Times the other day that 90,000 people have lost everything. They've lost their jobs. We have a lot of friends who have, you know, gone to stay with parents and hopefully will come back. But I don't know that Broadway can come back any other way than in their intimate spaces and have it be what it is. So, you know, every day is a journey. Every day is a here we go. Um, Hannah's been very fortunate. I will tell you that she has been blessed abundantly with people in the industry who have been in a lot longer than her that have offered her opportunities to sing. She was Scott Barbarino, who owns Ellen's Stardust Diner. And any tourist who's been to New York City has been to Ellen's, does something called Piano Bar Live. And so she was on his show one night. Um, the New York City Cabaret Convention, which happens at Rose Hall at the Lincoln Center, uh, she was set to make her second appearance this year, got canceled. They recorded the whole thing. And so she went into the Iridium, which is a cabaret club in the city, and recorded her songs. And they went out as part of the um, video for the convention. Um, gosh, um, there have been several people who have called and said, I want to put you on my online show. And most recently, I can't do this and not plug this, She both of her original cabaret shows have been nominated for Broadway World Awards. And so if you are a fan, go to my Facebook page. There's links all over the place. It is a fan award, and so votes matter. Um, but, you know, to be 19 years old and have your only two shows be nominated by who knows who, we don't know who did it, is is pretty amazing in the midst of this pandemic. And so these, in the Broadway world, their, their um, uh, platform has really done a great job throughout all of this of highlighting performers who are stuck mm -hmm. at home, highlighting shows. Hannah, bless her heart, has, was interviewed by a good friend of ours, Stephen Mosier, and he's just been a delight. He's doing something called At Home With. And then he just highlights another performer. And so you've, we've also gotten to know these performers at an intimate level. You know, we know what people's dogs look like and what their cat's names are and, you know, what their family is like. So it's hard. But I will tell you, there have been some really magical things that have come out of this situation for this particular community. And it's, it's a beautiful thing, but they're dying to get back. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Wow. In the, in the limited time that we have left, I, I would be remiss if we didn't walk through your story. And that's the reason I wanted <laughs> to have you on because... Yeah. Um, I know a little bit through your brother, but yeah. I want to hear it from your lens and from your perspective and share it with the audience. So take me as far back as you want to take me from point okay. A to wherever and, you know, tell your story of, of, of your life and what you've, what you've gone through yourself. Um, goodness gracious. I, it, 
it, I don't even know where to start. I'll start with Hannah. <laughs> uh, I've been a single mom since she was about a year old. Um, and we, you know, we've had good times and bads, but she pretty early on was a singer, not something I realized till she was about five years old. She walked in my kitchen and sang a Carrie Underwood song about cheating and lying and beating up her boyfriend's car. Oh, with boy. The, the oh boy. Oh <laughs> boy. That was the day. Um, and you know, I always thought it was something fun. I was, I was like, great. She's got a pretty little voice. This is fun. Um, and I had a friend who said she ought to, she ought to audition for the Appalachian Children's Choir to be fun for her. And she did. And she made it and loved it. Um, very young age. About nine years old, this kid and I had just had, it just been a rough couple seasons for us. You know, my mom had been sick. Um, it, being a single mom is, is not an easy thing and working full time. And I have a great job and a great career that I love. And so I put a lot of time and effort into it. But she, we said, let's just audition. The Alban Theater is doing Annie. Let's just, this would be a fun summer project. They had not done, this was their first show. Um, and she said, okay, mommy, this will be fun. Let's try, you know, hoping to be an orphan. That was our goal. Let's just, let's just be an orphan. And they cast her as Annie. <laughs> so I panicked. I'm like, she's nine years old. What are you doing? And the guy, when Adam Bryan called and offered it, he said, we want to offer her Annie. And I said, are you sure you called the right person? <laughs> I wasn't convinced. Um, and it started, that's the avalanche. And we always say it's Adam's fault. It's the avalanche that started the most amazing, magical, blessed, adventurous journey that I could have ever asked for in life. Nothing I ever planned, nothing I ever thought would happen. Um, but she came off the stage the first night and said, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And I thought. You had no intention of ever leaving Charleston, right? You would, you would have been content to be there the rest of your life. Yeah. I lived in Chicago for 13 years, so I had already had the big city experience. And if I had to stay there, you know, it was fine. I had a community. I had a church family I loved. I had friends. She had her community. Like, it was not on our radar. As a matter of fact, in during um, right after Annie at the Alban, the Guild did Annie, the Light Opera Guild with Nina Pastetti. And she was cast as one of the lead orphans. And I remember talking to a mom about another family that was, like, moving to New York. And I'm like, that is the craziest thing I have ever heard. Who in the world would pick up and move their kid to New York City at 10 years old? Well, <laughs> sometimes we eat crow. Um, I like people moving to West Virginia. Like, why in the world would you come here? <laughs> actually, West Virginia is so special. I'll tell you. If I could transplant about 50 of them to New York, I'd do it in a heartbeat. There then you I go. Would, I'd have my people back. So we just, we went through this theater thing. Like she auditioned for everything. She would, you know, she would get cast. She had great roles. And I, I don't know how much you know about this industry, but there are people, bad people who come through small towns and they want to make your kid famous. And they say, come and audition for me. Give me a thousand dollars or $5,000. And they're scammers and they're, they're preying on innocent people. But we decided early on that we were going to use these people to our advantage. <laughs> so we would go. Just because it was a chance for her to stand in front of a stranger. She liked it. Gave her experience. I didn't, still didn't think she would do this for the rest of her life. But I figured that she would spend, you know, some point of her world was going to be tied up in music. When we realized that she could play instruments and then she started writing. By the way, she has a Christmas song out, Milk and Cookies. You can get it on Amazon and iTunes right now. Um, so We love we shameless said, plugs here on the Intentional no Encourager podcast. Sorry, we love shameless <laughs> plugs. No, it's... It's all good. Listen, listen, hey, listen, I, I, I don't blame people one bit. And, and it's part of the reason we have people on is, is they, they can yeah. plug things. Hey, it's all good. We, <laughs> we, we have no boundaries here. So milk and cookies, um, you can find it on Amazon. 
You can. And it's actually funny. You'll enjoy it. If you have kids, they would, they'll think it's funny. Um, and so we went and we met these, these people. And I went home that night and I remember thinking, something is different. I don't know what this is. Um, got a text message the next day as expected. We want to see you for a callback. We love your daughter. She's amazingly talented. And I'm like, I know this, but I, I don't have money. I'm a single mom. Like, come on. And the lady's name was Kim Myers. The organization is Arts International. And I met with Kim against my better judgment. I'm like, if I don't meet with her, I'll never close the chapter. I'll always wonder what if I had. And we met on a Monday morning. Hannah was sick as a dog. And she said, I really want her to come to my showcase. Well, I knew what these showcases were. They were just money. Just give me your money. Give me your money. But I could not shake her. I prayed day and night. God and I had so many discussions, deep, heavy discussions about what to do. And for whatever reason, my gut kept telling me, go, 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 go. So Kim offered to help us, supported us to help get us there. We went to Florida in June and Hannah Jane blew the doors off the stage. We met with 15 musical theater agents and they all said, you live in the wrong city. She'll get there, but she'll get there much faster if you go to New York now. And I remember looking at her thinking, why did we do this? We're not going to New York. Who in the world? We're not. Um, luckily, my best friend had traveled with me, Susan, and we were sitting in the hotel on the last night. And she said to me, she said, you know, you're going to have to move to New York City. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not moving to New York City with a 13-year-old and three cats by myself. Lo and behold, we came home and I looked at her and I got up one morning and God just said, you got to do this. You got to do this. I promise I'll take care of you. I can audibly hear his voice saying, I've got you. Trust me. I've got you. And so I said to her, I said, do you want to move to New York? And she said, now? And I said, well, I mean, I need a little time. I'm probably going to take me a year. Um, and this was in July of thir 13, 14. And she came to me about a week later and she said, mom, do you think we could be there by Thanksgiving? I really want to watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade from New York. And I looked at her and I said, are you nuts? moving in four months that's crazy uh five months later i lived in new york city november 11th so um a lot of things happened to get us here fast the doctors that i worked for residencied with a doctor here connected me they ended up making me an offer on the spot it was crazy um i sold everything i owned pretty much basically 80 percent of what i owned i sold my car i depleted my savings account took out my 401k money and I put everything we owned in a 10 by 10 truck and I moved to New York. And so it was, looking back, I think it was dumb. <laughs> it was probably the dumbest thing I've ever done. Thank God that, you know, I serve a loving God who says, it's okay, I'll clean up your mess. Because there was no reason why this should have worked. No reason in the world why two West Virginia hillbillies who threw caution to the wind should still be thriving in New York City like we are. Um, so we got here. The best part of my whole story is, how we got here. So in West Virginia, you just go to high school. It's just what you do. You live in Sissonville, you go to Sissonville. You live in Barbersville, you go to Barbersville. In New York City, there are 1,500 high schools. And you pick your high school and you either audition if it's a performing arts high school or you do an interview if it's a leadership school or if it's an engineering school, you take a test. But they're almost all specialized. And we had no clue. So we walked in the door, went to register her in her little middle school, last year middle school, and they're like, here's your book. Here's all the schools. Good luck. I said, excuse me? She said, well, you have to go pick her high school. 
pick her high school. She's like, mm -hmm. yeah, there's auditions. And I I'm sorry to say you've probably missed most of the auditions. So I went back home that night and we had been here 48 hours and I sat in my living room and I cried and I said, God, what did I do? What mm -hmm. have I gotten myself into? Um, getting here was an act of God, but now how are we going to do this? And so I literally spent 24 hours reading this book, picking out every high school, got on the subway, had no clue what I was doing, rode to every single school I could find because my kid was going to ride a subway to school at 14 mm -hmm. years old. Um, long story short, we ended up picking six schools, turned in audition tickets, and her favorite school, we missed the musical theater audition, which was devastating to her because this was the purpose. We're going here. We're going to go to Broadway. There's no in-depth bets about it. This is our, this is our mission. Um, and so you show up and you audition and then you wait until March. Audition in November and you wait until March and to hear if you got in. You get in somewhere, but it might not be your school. So um, one of my favorite stories, I have to tell the whole story, is the audition process. So we showed up. She walks in the school and she says, this is my place. I'm like, you don't even know. You've not met anybody. How is this your place? She's like, I just know. Walked into the audition room to, to sing for vocal, which is classical music because we'd missed musical theater. And the guy said, I think you're in the wrong place. He said, I think you should have been in the musical theater program. She's like, yeah, I missed the audition. And he said, why? And she said, well, I just moved here three days ago. And he said, I'll see what I can do. What she didn't know is downstairs, I was having a similar conversation with the vice principal of the school who said, why did she miss the audition? And in his mind, I could see his face. Are you, is this lady going to tell me that the dog ate her audition slip or some stupid excuse? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, we just moved here. And he said, oh, well, let's see how today goes. Fast forward three weeks, she gets a callback. Callback means you go to a theater and you dance. Hannah Jane is not a dancer. She was not born a dancer. Hannah Jane is a singer. So panic set in, but we knew we had to do it. So I put it in my little calendar. I am still a weirdo. I still use a paper calendar. Me too. Me too. Uh, I'm very much. No. A, I'm very much. I'm a 48 year old weirdo. I still use That's a paper it. planner. Yes. Yep. I still use a paper planner. I love Staples and Office Max. They're my favorite places to shop. Um, yeah, weirdo. So I write it down. That's it. I'll get her out of school. We'll go to the audition. I open my planner on Tuesday, thinking the audition is on Wednesday, and realize that the audition is on Tuesday. And if there's one thing you know about New York City and the performing arts community, you either show up or you don't. And if you, if you miss it, you're done. There are very rarely second chances. It's 11.30. The audition is at 3 o'clock. She doesn't get out of school until 2 o'clock. I'm in a panic. I call the school. I'm like, I got to get her out. Can you send her to me? No, ma'am, you have to check her out. What do you mean? I'm telling you, just let her go. Let her go. I'll fax a note. Let her go. They will not let her go. My boss is like, get out. Go. Go get her. Go get her. So we have been in the city for no amount of time at all. I knew how to get from my house to my work and from my work back to my house. I knew one train line. And if we got on another train line, who in the heck knows where I was going, but I surely didn't. Mm -hmm. So I get on the train, and it comes on, and it says, construction on the ARB train, everything's going express. I'm like, what does that mean express? <laughs> so long story short, I end up getting out there. I have $10 in my bank account. The train has gone express. 
I have no idea where I am. They will not let her out of school. I only have a train pass to get myself back in the city. And we are 45 minutes away from her being late for this audition. So she goes in and asks her science teacher who gives her a pass. She ends up getting on the train. We are, by the time we get into the city, we are 45 minutes late for her audition. I have now called these people three times and said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We're late. It's my fault. I'm so sorry. It's not her fault. And they're like, it's okay. Just get here when you can. We come up out of the subway. It is pouring the rain, Brian, pouring the rain. We run five blocks. She's now bona fide an hour late. We walk in the door and the woman opens the door and says, hi, y'all. You must be Hannah Jane. I stopped in my tracks and I looked up and I said, you are so real. It's not even funny. And they, they sent us this little angel who said, it's okay. I'm from the South. I know how this works. Did you have train trouble? <laughs> how did you know? Did you have train trouble? That's not something you hear in West Virginia. <laughs> West Virginia. And so they scooped us in. Hannah auditioned. Long story short, she ended up getting into the number one performing arts school in the city. But I tell you that to tell you as an encouragement that, you know what, there's another reason why this shouldn't have worked. This kid should never yeah. have made it into that school. There's no reason. Any other kid, they would have said, are you crazy? Get here now. So she ended up in that school. Um, I have changed jobs since we got here. I um, met a doctor through my first doctor's um, who was working at the hospital. Um, I managed plastic surgery offices, surgery centers, and he wanted to go into private practice. And so I spent the last five years building his practice on Fifth Avenue. So pretty lucky girl. In the meantime of all that, Hannah Jane has just stepped and stepped and stepped. She went from a little kid from West Virginia to suddenly somebody who's actually making, you know, making her way through this industry. And it's not hard, it's hard. Everybody here is a performer. Everybody here is doing what she's doing. Everybody here is looking for their next big break. Um, I think her first big explosion where we realized, okay, we're in the right place. She um, was asked to participate in a competition called Mabel Mercer. Mabel Mercer was one of the original um, cabaret singers, mm -hmm. African-American lady who just sat in a chair and sang and just sang like a, like a songbird. And Hannah's propensity to music is Judy Garland. Barbara Streisand, um, Rosemary Clooney. It's not pop at all. It is It is all that old music. As a matter of fact, we auditioned for America's Got Talent three times. And every time we got to the TV round, and every time they said, okay, Britney Spears, Ariana Grande. And Hannah said, no, thank you. And every time we walked away. So at some point in this process, I had to know that that old music was going to pay off, and it did. But she participated in a concert and won. It was a competition for high school kids, and she won second place. And the very next day, we were back at the theater watching another show. And KT Sullivan, who if you Google KT Sullivan, is a world-renowned cabaret singer, travels the world, said to Hannah, I want you to have your own show. And Hannah said, my own show? What the heck does that mean? And so she sponsored Hannah, and Hannah had her very first solo cabaret show at the age of 17. Wow. And so she sold out a theater here, and she sang for an hour, um, and then went on to do two more shows. It was a crazy turn of events how it happened, um, but she, it kind of planted her in this industry as a, as a player, as somebody who's legitimately talented and ready. And, um, and so she has spent the better part of the last five years just gobbling up every opportunity she can to sing. It doesn't matter where it is. 
somebody's garage, somebody's roof party, you know, as part of birthday parties, um, working on a website. She's taken up photography to kind of offset. And thankfully that's helped her financially during the COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, But she just keeps taking it. And the bummy part about COVID is that she was 19, just turned 19, which is kind of when the doors start to open. There's a point on Broadway where you're too big to be little, too little to be big. So she was too big to play a little kid, but she wasn't big enough to play 18, 19, 20-year-old roles. And so she had things brewing, and then, bam, her world shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I would say about 18 months ago, I kept a journal the whole time. The whole time we did this, I kept a journal because I knew that someday I'd want to look back at the crazy things that had happened, like the fact that we watched the first Thanksgiving Day parade from a penthouse apartment on 73rd and park avenue like who does that mm-hmm. uh we saw billy joel from the eighth row eight days after we moved here a patient gave me tickets how's that happen like this yeah it, it just it's craziness and i knew i'd want to go back and look and so i had friends saying to me you gotta write a book you've got to write a book and i'm like i don't know how to write a book are you crazy <laughs> yeah mom. everybody says yeah write a book and then it's like oh my word what did i get what does myself that mean? into yeah, exactly. And so I, I thought, well, okay. And it was very slow at first. Like it was more of a bona fide, you know, glorified journal than it was really a book. See, we, 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 when we do shameless plugs, we do shameless plugs. <laughs> Hot Mess Express. I love it. Yeah, that's your book, Hot Mess Express. So you, you go back and journal, you go back and, and put your thoughts together. Yep. And, and you, you get, you write the book. What was the one take, tell me real quick here and we'll, we'll, we'll let people know how to get the book because I, I really want to ask you a couple more questions. Really go for it. Beyond some of the things that you've detailed, what was another obstacle that you guys overcame maybe either yeah. separately or together? And what was the lesson that you learned from it? Because you know, and I'm sure that, that you detail a lot of it in Hot Mess Express, but there are things in people's lives that they overcome and they go, okay, here's what I learned from it, but they, they don't really talk about it a whole lot. What was yeah. that? What was that for you guys? And, you know, this is in the book in some form, but I, I will, this is something that's important to me to share. Um, you know, the world revolves around money. Just is what it is. Got to have money to live. Got to have money to eat. Um, That's why people should buy your book. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Please. Yes. Um, We're not opposed to groveling or begging. Exactly. You know, I was a single mom for a long time. And so making ends meet some months was almost impossible. And and I I made it by the grace of friends and people who were gracious. And we still kind of live on that to a certain point. But I didn't think we would make it. I didn't think we had the money to make the move. I mean, you're talking a car pay, you know, buying a new car is what it takes to get here and get settled and find a place to live. I had to pay three months rent up front and I live in 4,000 or 450 square feet. And my rent is three times anybody's mortgage. I know, um, people rose up in ways I never imagined before we left. People would call me and say, Hey, can we hug you? Sure. And I would leave. And there was a hundred dollar bill in my back pocket or a card would show up with 50 bucks in it. Um, so it was remarkable, but getting here and learning to live 
in a city where everything is 55 million times more than what you're used to on a very, you know, granted pay is a little more here, but um, learning to trust your instincts, learning to budget in a way that was beyond. And I was a good budgeter. I really was. But I, I really had to kind of step back and realize that that was a whole part of life that you that I had to learn. I had to figure out how to make it. But what I learned from putting it out there is that people want to help. People want to see you yeah. succeed. Whether it's me, whether it's Hannah, whether it's you, people want to help bridge the gap where they can. And it humbled me in a lot of ways to realize that, you know what, I can't do this on my own. I can't. I'm not capable of it. And God never intended for me to do it on my own either. He never right. intended for me to be a solo singer. He intended for me to have a band. Um, but that was that has seriously been the single most difficult challenge we've had to overcome is figuring out why milk is $4 a gallon here and $2 there. Or, you know, the first time we went out, we lived here about three months, and I had been squabbling away money to take us out to dinner. Because I thought that's going to be a nice, you know, couple months. It'll be a nice little congratulations. You've survived your first two months in New York. Yeah. And we walked by this place by the train station. And there was actually a pink car that came out the top of it. And it was a Spanish place. And it always smelled so good. And I said, where do you want to go? And she's like, let's go to the pink car place. I'm like, it's a great idea. Yeah. So we get in there. We sit down. We are West Virginians. We don't, we're not bilingual on any planet that we live on. Everything is in Spanish, including the menu. Now, Hannah has had a little Spanish in school, and she's looking at it, and I'm like, what do you think? Should we leave? She's like, no, let's just take a chance and order. So we order what we think is chicken fingers. Mm -hmm. We've just kind of tried to figure it out. I've spent, this is it, my 50 bucks for dinner is now gone, and she brings us a plate of pig's feet. <laughs> <laughs> And I looked at Hannah and she said, are we going to eat them? I'm like, you were going to eat them because that was our, that was it. Yes. That was our money to go. I mean, thankfully we're, we're better now than we were when we got here, but you know, there were, there were moments where it was, okay, here's the grocery list. All right. We only have money for half of it. Figure it out. But it's, it was probably, it's probably my greatest accomplishment too. When I look back at this, my greatest accomplishment is that we figured it out. Well, the I love what you said there about, about soloists and, and things like that. And, and I talk about that in the book, in my book is that great live performers always know how to feature the band. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, again, you, you, you realize that you, you don't do life by yourself. Nope. You can be the most talented person in the world, but you have people that help you. So leave folks today with your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. Maybe somebody has that dream that they want to pursue, or, you know, maybe, maybe they've got a child that like you has a gift and, and they, they're really just kind of searching. What's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement, Stephanie? Don't be afraid to try. Don't be afraid to jump. The whole reason I wrote the book was so that somebody out there somewhere, if one person reads my book and jumps at something, whether it's performing, whether it's sports, whatever it's hosting a podcast, writing their own book, don't be afraid to fail. Success isn't trying. The success is just putting yourself out there. Who cares what happens to it? And not, not that I don't lose sleep at night counting books that I've sold, because I do, just as my publisher, but um, you can't be afraid. You can't be afraid because two little girls, hillbillies from West Virginia, 
are living and thriving in New York City. And, you know, she steps away, hopefully, from landing herself on Broadway and seeing her dreams. I'm doing a job that I love, that brings me great fulfillment every day because I was courageous, <laughs> although I call it crazy. See, um, and see, for the first time in your life, when you go to New York, you have to put shoes on because, because yeah. you know, all West Virginians just, we don't wear shoes, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, well, people on the subway though are weird people on the subway. Sometimes offline, I'll tell you my subway shoe story. People take their shoes off on the subway way more than they should. <laughs> wow. See, there are, there, there are closet West Virginians everywhere. There are closets. Yeah. You know, funny. Two years ago, the, the, um, um, Mountaineers let off the Thanksgiving day parade. And there are a lot of West Virginians up here because there was about 75 of us that found each other on a very cold Thursday morning and stood on the corner of, of 73rd and Central Park West and watched that parade. And it was one of the most glorious moments of of living here for the past six years is just being with people like me, people who came from from my roots. And it was it was amazing. But please, if you hear nothing else, if you if you read the book and you get nothing else out of it. I was 40 years old when we came here, 40 years old before I started my adventure. Wow. Don't be afraid. And by the way, go herd. Go herd. Yeah. No. See, I am not a Mountaineer Third. fan. Everybody thinks you're like, oh, you're from West Virginia. You root for the Mountaineers. No, not in this I house. Went to I went to Marshall for my, my graduate degree. So there I'm, you I'm, go. A, I'm there, a herder. There you go. Stephanie, tell people where they can get the book. Tell people where they can get the the Christmas the the Christmas song that that um, Hannah's recorded, or where they can get her music yeah. if they if they want it. Um, tell folks how they can connect with you guys. So Hannah and I are both Hannah Jane and I are both on Facebook and Instagram. You're going to find her under Hannah Jane NYC. Um, she's got a website. She has a Facebook page. Uh, we'd love it if you become a YouTube subscriber and follow her. We post every single possible thing we can. Um, you can get her book, my book, her song, both are on Amazon. My book is also on Google Play. It's also on Apple Books. You can download it. Um, Hannah's um, Milk and Cookies is also on um, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, all the major major music platforms there. Listen, we would love to, to know you. If you're coming to New York, we've had strangers sleep on our floor. Now, I'm telling you, I mean, it, you might be sleeping on the kitchen floor in a blow-up mattress, but... Um, please look us up. Please say hello. Please let us show you our beloved city. You know, we're, we're sleeping right now, but we're going to wake again. And, and it's the greatest city in the world. And I, I love nothing more than to see people from my hometown come and visit and hang out with us. We will make time for you and, and share any part of our journey that we can. So please follow us and go to Broadway World Cabaret Awards and vote for my kid. <laughs> Total parent move right there. I love it. Total parent move right there. Yes, yes. <laughs> Stephanie Myers-Peterson. Stephanie is spelled S-T-E-F-F-A-N-I-E. Yeah. And then Myers-Peterson, P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N. You yeah. can find her on Facebook. You can uh, get her on other platforms as my it's phone right. starts to ring. How rude of somebody to to uh, interrupt our ending of our podcast. Exactly. I mean, as a podcast host, I should learn to turn my phone down, the ringer down. That's, Hannah Jane called in about minute two starting our podcast, and I yeah. declined her. <laughs> yeah, it's like, duh. duh. <laughs> Stephanie, this has been great fun. And again, I'm going to have your brother on, uh, David Myers. He's a great, great friend awesome. of mine. And I'm glad he connected us and we got to tell your story. Thank you for joining me today on the Thank Intentional Encouragement so Podcast. Thanks, Brian.
My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Mead. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place can be an intentional.